again. And so that's what we're talking about today. We are talking about belongingness, about that sense of needing to be part of something bigger than ourselves. But before we get into that, I, I do want to say a prayer that I found um, this week on Black Liturgies. And it is a prayer specifically addressing Atlanta and um, American Asian hatred. And so I think we do often neglect, and I have quite a few Asian American friends who have reminded me that there is a crisis going on in that community too. There is an enormous amount of hatred towards that community. There are street beatings, there are violence that is happening, and oftentimes we, they get overlooked. And I, we need to um, stand with that community. And so this morning, this prayer, uh, uh, Melanie are, said such a beautiful prayer specifically about that, but this prayer is from Black Liturgies. And so we just take a moment, let's center ourselves and just listen to this. God, whose friends fell asleep, whose friends fell asleep to your pain in the garden, we confess that many of us have fallen asleep to the pain of Asian people in our midst. Be near to every Asian person whose pain and trauma is so often ignored, is so often dismissed. Help us to bear witness to the tragedies and make space for them in our hearts and minds and cravings for justice. May those who fear today be met with divine protection. Cover them in a peace that allows them to give, to still grieve in the way we were meant to. May those who are angry be met with a holy rage. Guide them to people who will not demand their complacency or their, their emotions to be subdued, but who remind them that they are worth fighting for, of crying for. It is not well, and we will say that together. It is not well. Remind us today their grief will not be erased. In this moment, we do pray that God would move in justice, that God would move it over the waters of our society and bring peace. I think a lot of the, the problems that we are facing today are things that, uh, that we're talking about in this message of belongingness. We have attached ourselves to belonging to the wrong things. We have attached ourselves to belongingness in those things that we hate and the others who hate them too. And that is creating deep pain within us all. Where the answer, as always, we believe is love and unity and the grace and common dignity of all people everywhere. And so this week, as we fight for justice, let us remember that our fight must also be for Asian Americans that we need to stand up with one another as a community to defend the rights of life for every person, no matter what their story is, no matter what their employment is, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their economic situation is, that we would come together in unity to fight for the dignity of all people everywhere. I believe that is a distinctly Christian way and I hope that we all can embrace that in our churches and in our personal lives as well. 
This morning we're talking about Mark 6, continuing on this idea of hospitality. But I want to read a quote as we get started. This is from Robert Putnam. Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone. It was in the 90s. Anybody ever hear of that book? No? Okay, good. But I love this idea, just the title of Bowling Alone. I don't know if you've ever bowled much in life. Any of y'all bowlers? Any of y'all bowlers out there? Yeah, 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 good, good. Um, it, bowling was a phenomenon in the 20th century social life. My grandfather, my great-grandfather, who he'd probably be about 100 now if he were still alive, uh, he and I would go bowling. He would take me bowling all the time. He bowled most of his life, and he was always part of leagues. He would go and bowl in leagues, and every Tuesday night or whatever night it was, they would all get together at the bowling alley, you know, and have a few drinks and maybe smoke and, and bowl together. And that was like you, you were part of something, and you looked forward to it where you could just let loose, and it was a, a, sometimes it was just a group of guys, and sometimes it was just a group of, of women, and sometimes it was a group of both together, but you were part of something. And so I bowled a lot as a child, as a young teenager, as a tween. I was decent, um, but I loved it because my grandfather loved it and he always took it. So we bowled a lot. And when I lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin was one of like the bowling capitals of America. Like everybody bowled in, Amer- in, in Wisconsin back in the 60s and 70s. But that had declined. And so like this book, Robert Putnam, t- Robert Putnam talks about this idea that we, all, we bowled together at one time. But as he was looking at society in the 90s, this, this, this analogy of bowling alone was sort of this idea that we now, we used to be connected to things as a society together. We were part of clubs. We were part of Rotary Club or, or, or whatever, the, the Moose Lodge or, or churches or PTAs. And like we, had a, we were together with people, but something happened along the way. And now we just do those things alone. We bowl alone. And he says this. Community connectedness is not just about warm, fuzzy tales of civic triumph. In measurable and well-documented ways, social capital makes an enormous difference in our lives. Social capital, or connectedness, makes us smarter, healthier, safer, richer, and better able to govern a just and stable democracy. Unfortunately, We have lost much of our connection to one another, and especially in the last year, right? This is like a force, like the trend was going, we are becoming more and more isolated, more and more isolated, more and more isolated, and then this moment happens to where we had already been becoming isolated, and now we are forced to become isolated, and really the question is, what are we going to do now? That's the question before us in this moment of like we are we are facing sort of a post-pandemic reality a post-pandemic democracy a post-pandemic economy how are we going to respond a post-pandemic church how are we going to respond like we were on trends to become deeply disconnected with each other and maybe connected to the things that were not in any longer healthy for us but now what are we going to do? Are we going to continue that trend, like, like, like exponentially embrace it, where we become sole individual proprietors of our individual lives? Is that what we're going for? And we don't even interact with people in church, anywhere. We are distanced. We are individual silos of capitalism. 
Like, this is my life. I want nothing else. Or are we going to wake up and realize that way of doing life where we were trending for was not doing anything good for us. It was destroying the very fabric of our identities and our societies. Can we wake up in this moment and reverse the trend coming out of a pandemic and saying, we need something else. We need something different. And maybe we're going to have to be creative in that. Maybe we're going to have to reinvent things or invent new things, a way of connecting this. But are we going to be committed to it or not? Do we see, and ultimately I believe, what we're going to have to ask ourselves is do we see value in belonging to something? Because right now we don't. We only see value in belonging to my life. Maybe my family's life. But beyond the family which in many ways we have become, I, I, I hate to say this, but especially in the church, sometimes we, we make an idol of the family. Like the family is, is the golden calf of all things. Like we can't do anything that may inconvenience our individual family unit. Like, oh, and so that, that, that pulls us out of belongingness and says, my family is the only thing I'm going to belong to. But we all know family life, right? It often gets really hard, really hard. And if we're not, if we don't belong to other things, if our families aren't connected to a broader whole in society, when those things happen that are inevitable, those difficulties of human relationships and dynamics, if we're not connected to bigger holes, then that family will dissolve and we have nothing. What do we have at that point? Because we're not connected to anything else. And I believe that's what we're facing in our society right now. Anyway. Yes, you will see today, I uh, may, um, I may just talk, you know, here we go. Mark 6, this is, remember last week we talked about hospitality and Jesus sent the disciples out and he said, don't take anything with you and go stay with people. As you're going to do this, find places in people's homes that embrace you and accept you and stay in them. And so they were the recipients of hospitality. And last week we talked about maybe we're not called to cast out demons or drive to heal the sick. Maybe that's not our thing. Maybe that's not our jam, but all of us can embrace and accept and open up our lives into people's lives and say, come on in, come on in for rest, okay? Remember that? Now, the disciples get out of that moment and they come back to Jesus and they're like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what happened out there. Like Jesus is like, yeah, I knew that was gonna happen. And so, and then they get to this moment and they hear, this is right after, they said this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done. Like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe it. Hashtag best day ever. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot. <laughs> That's funny. Like, what else are they going to run in? <laughs> they ran on their hands? <laughs> like, many ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and some of the large crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them with many things. But this time it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send them away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Like the disciples get a bad rap for this, but they're trying to help the people. Like it's getting late in the day. These people are hungry. They, they, they need to get something to eat. Jesus, they're not going to leave unless you tell them to leave. So Jesus, give the word. But Jesus answered, 
Always turning around, right? Always turning around. People, you know, lots of times we pray, God, would you just help so-and-so? Would you just bring justice? Would you just bring somebody into their lives to help them, this family up the road? They're starving. and, And God, would you just be with them and help them and bring them some food? Jesus is always like, you give them something to eat. You praying for this? I put that in your heart. I helped you notice them. Be the answer to the prayer that you are praying. God's not a magic trick. God puts these things on our hearts so that we can engage in the lives of others. We should be the answers to the prayers that we are praying. Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take almost a year's wages. You know what they didn't say? You know what they didn't say? Is we don't have that kind of money. They said, that would, that's really expensive. <laughs> Are we going to go out and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Where'd they get this money? You know, just before, it's really interesting. This is a side note, but it's just interesting. Jesus told them, don't take any money with you on your trip. And they get back and they're like, are we going to spend all our money on this? Like, where'd they get this money from? This is a very interesting little, that's, never mind. Maybe another day. You can stay for the after party and I'll talk about that. You're like, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I got plants. Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found that, they said, we got five loaves, Jesus, and these two fish. <laughs> five loaves and two fish. You've heard this sermon so many times, haven't you? Five loaves and two. If you just take, would you just give to Jesus what you got, and Jesus will multiply it? And then that's true. Yes. Yes, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Then they ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men and were 5,000. The number of all individuals was much larger than that. This is the word of God for us and all the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a miracle in so many ways, in more than one. In one way, this is, uh, Jesus is multiplying this offering which they found. In another text, we read that, that they found a boy who had these, these loaves and fishes, and, and this is what they took, and the boy offered it to them as, in many ways, a sacrifice, in many ways, a blessing to say, uh, here's what I have, and absolutely we are in this idea of hospitality. Or like we may feel inadequate. We may feel like we're not enough. We may feel like if I open myself and my heart up, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be good enough. My neighbor has such a better kitchen and such a better house. They should be the one doing this. But we just need to offer what we have. And God will take that and work with it. And that, that's, that's, all that, that's all that we have to offer. And so let us offer what we have in this idea and realm of of hospitality. Yes, it, it, it might feel like we never have enough. It's not going to be enough. We might feel like it's inadequate, but we just give and God does the rest. God, here is what I have. And so this is a miracle of, of blessing. This is a miracle that Jesus takes this and divides it and feeds a multitude. It's incredible. 
But there is something bigger at work here as well that I believe the text is trying to tell us. These people here were following Jesus because they were pushed to the margins of their society. The Roman world, the Roman domination was difficult for for peasants in this day, for farm workers. And that's who these people would have been. They were following Jesus because Jesus was proclaiming a different sort of kingdom, a different sort of way to do life, not a way based in brutality and violence and death and destruction and exploitation, but a way of life, a reorientation of social norms, a reorientation of the very fabric of social life, one that is about sharing, one that is about love, one that is about empowering and embracing one another, not about dividing and exploiting each other. And so here they are they're coming together they are drawn to this message in many ways this is a social revolutionary message that is transforming the world in this moment and the people thousands of people who were poor and on the margins and on the very brink of financial collapse that's the way life was there it was hard and difficult And along the way, there were Roman soldiers who, if you got out of line, they would kill you. Literally, they would kill you. There were mass executions of the Jewish people by the Romans in that day. It was brutal. Their life was hard. But here is this guy who's talking about God in a whole new way. Not about God who loves the rich. Not about God who loves the pure. Not about God who loves just the religious. Not about God who loves those who can tithe. Not about God just loving those that fit into the norm box that the religious leaders have made. No, 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 no. no. This Jesus is proclaiming a God who wants to redeem the world. Who, who wants to empower every person. Wants to embrace the poorest, the ones on the margins, the ones who have, have suffered great injustices. And God, as this mother hen who is pulling all people everywhere together and say, come on in, y'all. You are welcome here. And the people were hungry for it. Hungry for that. And so this is in many ways both a physical miracle of feeding people, but also a spiritual miracle of feeding people. I believe Jesus is saying to the disciples, give them something to eat. Help them understand that they belong. They belong. You belong not to this, to this, to this world. You belong to something bigger you belong to the movement that jesus is inaugurating and birthing and letting loose on the world you are important and you are valuable and you are beautiful and you are pure and you are holy and you are blessed and you are fed here become part of what god is doing this idea of belongingness is massive it is huge in our lives but we overlook it We don't think about it. We often don't realize that we need it until we don't have it, until we feel a loss and a lack, until we feel so isolated. And we're like, why do I feel so isolated? Because we're isolated, right? It's like this this vicious cycle. As we become isolated, and then that creates more isolation, and then we feel bad. And our feeling bad and depression leads to more isolation. And it's just a cycle that takes us down further. 
But in America, America this idea is, is ingrained within us and us in so many ways in our culture that, that this idea that we have to be against something and being against something makes us isolated. It frames our whole worldview in not what we're for, not in a positive. It frames our whole worldview in a negative, in what we are against. And so we, we're formed in this way from the very beginning, right? Like the whole idea of the American Europeans, you know, a bunch of religious, disgruntled religious Europeans move to America and they're like, we're against that. And so we got to get over here. And so they create this religious system of Puritanism that, that defines itself as we're not like that. We're going to be like this. And so like, yes, we're embracing something, but the only way we're embracing is because we're not that. Then, what do we do as Americans? We, 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 we rebel, and, you know, in the American Revolution. We are against the tyranny of the crown. And then we have a civil war. We are against that. And we are against that. And then we have the Cold War. We are against communism. We are against those things. And so we are formed in this sense of we are against that you see in the church, if you grew up in the church, a fundamental part of the Christian experience in America, especially in the evangelical church, is we're against Satan. Like, right? This is a battle. And we're in a battle for the souls of the world. And it's God versus Satan. And so we, a lot of times in the religious experience, we believe God, we're part of this God that is against something else and trying to drive something else out. And so this frames us and forms us to always be against. And so we become people who gravitate towards other people who are against what we are against, who hate what we hate. But the whole psychology of this is screwed up because what happens is the moment that we find, we're, okay, we're with a group of people. We all hate the same stuff, right? We hate that. And like, yeah, I hate that too. Yeah, that's wrong. But then you know what happens? Once we have a disagreement within that group, we're like, oh, I hate you. You don't hate what I hate anymore. And so like that just creates further and further and further isolation until the, the only people we can stand to be around that we fully agree with is us. That's it. We're just here by ourselves because we're the only people we can find that fully agree or disagree with everything that we disagree with. It's a terrible way to live. And it creates depression and anxiety and addiction and we are seeing in the throes of it right now. And like we, we this idea that like I love this idea that Jesus is, is talking about multiplication through sharing. Right? Like we don't, we have trouble believing that, don't we, as a people. Like we can share our resources and God can multiply it and everyone can have enough. I am astounded by this American idea of, of capitalism versus socialism. And we, in so many, I mean, y'all know that I'm not a big fan of capitalism. And some people have been like, why are you so hard on capitalism? And like, I'm, I'm not really, but I do genuinely believe that capitalism is in the last days of itself. 
Like it is beginning to break down and it is falling in on itself and it's going to, it's going to crumble and fall apart. And if we don't begin to fix it, and that's what I'm calling, that's, that's what I push for, is like let's fix this thing while there's still chance to do it. Because in 20 years or whatever that is, it's going to fall apart and we can't. But this is the fundamental human error, right? We oftentimes don't fix things while they're fixable. We wait and wait and wait and wait and wait until it breaks and then we're like, oh man, I should have fixed that, right? Well, it's too late, yeah. It's like the environment. We could, have, we could have changed things 20 or 30 years ago. And we're at this point now, we're like, it's gonna be really hard to pull back from where we are at this point. But this is what we do. And so like, I believe capitalism, we can, we can repair it, we can fix it, we can tweak it, we can move into something, uh, something different, but we gotta do it now. And if we don't, then there's gonna be this massive suffering that's gonna be created. And so like in capitalism, like it, to, to me, it is, a, it is a complete lunacy and an insanity that we fight so hard that we can't have communal things like universal health care or whatever. Like, it's like, like we can't do that because that's socialism. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, socialism? And you see like this mindset, we're against that. We can't, we, we're against that. So, so creating a society where we actually empower freedom of people through their health, like that's socialism. We are, cre- we are giving more freedom to people. Then what, are we, what, are, what do we value in America then? If it's not giving and empowering freedom to others, what is it? Oh, yes, you see. It is about my freedom to buy what I want, to, to, to make as much money as I can. And if anybody impedes on that, then it's socialism. Ooh. No, no, it's not actually. Socialism, this, this idea of communism, limits social interactions. It dictates what you can and can't do in your social interactive time, the, the pathways and the avenues that you can take in your life. It dictates that to you. It limits that freedom. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking actually about empowering other people to live their best life, to have health care, to be healthy and strong. And that is going to lift them up, empower them to, to, to do more opportunities in the world. But we are so consumed with we're against that. We can't even think a thought because we're isolated from one another. If we were connected, we would deeply see so many people are suffering in our society because they're sick and they can't afford their health care. And the, and the healthcare costs are too. I was like, why, why are you talking about this so much, Jason? In church, we want a message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are you talking about healthcare? Because the gospel intersects with real life. What kind of gospel are we talking about if it's just about getting to heaven? That's no gospel. That's not good news. Like, that's, people are literally dying in, our, in their homes children are suffering if the gospel cannot speak to that then like i'm out like it's like what kind of gospel is this if it doesn't speak to real life of real people and so like we we've become so against everything and if anything doesn't line up perfectly with us then we're like well we can't i can't embrace it and and in this state in this state of wanting like we want belonging right we want to belong to something and in the current situation we are giving ourselves to politics. 
Instead of giving ourselves to churches or giving ourselves to social institutions, clubs or groups of people, we are giving ourselves to politics because politics promises to be against what we want them to be against. It promises to be against the things that we are against. And so we line up here with that. We line up here with that and we give ourselves more and more. And this is why politics is so divided right now because we are actually getting our value from it. But you know what? At the end of the day, politics doesn't care about you. Do you think any politician cares about you? I mean, I, I, I ran for office. I didn't know people. Like I, it was about, this is about something big. I mean, it, it's not something that we should give our souls to. We should be part of it. We should be civic active. We should stand for justice and mercy and inclusion in the political system. Absolutely. But there's a big difference of giving our souls to it and finding worth in it and finding belonging into it because it is a false belonging because it's not actually with other people. It's just by ourselves and what we're against. And so how do we navigate this world that we are living in in this space, in the, 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 the early 21st century, how do we build belonging? I think first of all is like we got to be, we got to want it. We got to want to belong to something. I, I, I read this, and this is, this is fantastic. This is from the Mayo Clinic. Of, it, Mayo Clinic. Let's talk about belongingness. Having a sense of belonging is so important. Considering the groups and labels we give ourselves and others, we are members of family, sporting teams, hobbyists, spiritual groups, charities, political parties, cities, countries, and nationalities, to name a few. Nearly every aspect of our life is organized around belonging to something. The sense of belonging is fundamental to the way humankind organizes itself. If it was unimportant, we would live solitary lives, only coming together for processional, then quickly kicking the children out of our lives as soon as they could walk. We could have no families, communities, or organized governments. We cannot separate the importance of a sense of belonging from our physical and mental health. The social ties that accompany a sense of belonging are a protective factor helping to manage stress. When we feel we have support and are not alone, we often cope more effectively with difficult times in our lives. Coping well with hardship decreases the physical and mental impact of these situations. Depression, anxiety, and suicide are common mental health conditions associated with lacking a sense of belonging. These conditions can lead to social behaviors that interfere with an individual's ability to connect with others, creating a cycle of events which further weakens a sense of belonging we need each other y'all we need each other and i believe what jesus is saying here is like look at these people they need you they need you give them something to eat whatever you have offer it they need to be part of something bigger because they're hurting and they're alone and they're isolated, and they're being pushed to the margins of their existence. And I believe the same message is to us today as a church, that our world today is being pushed to the limits of its existence. Our economic system is pushing people further and further apart because it is creating this system where we have to constantly work, constantly work, 
constantly work. We have to have a real job, and then we have to have a side job, and we have to hustle, and we have to hustle because life is so expensive, and we are so worried about a medical emergency that could wipe it all out. We are so worried about the rising cost of college. We are so worried about our children's future. We are so worried, and so our whole lives have become this sense of we have to make as much money as we possibly can because if we don't, then we're going to suffer. And so this constant drive to make more and more money creates this lifestyle that leaves no room for belonging to anything but our own economic future. Oh, it's so tiring. It's so tiring. I read this 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 meme or what I don't know what it was it was something that it just it resonated with me and it said remember in the 1970s where you would work one job and you could cook dinner and you had your weekends free and you could actually be part of stuff because one job was enough even for a family to survive to live an okay life now it's not like you you, you have one job, one income. That one income per, better be pretty great because it's probably going to take two and you're going to have to work your can off. And I'm like, what? This is freedom? This is freedom? The freedom to work all the time. There's somebody in Europe who's like, somebody in America, like, we are free. And the Europeans were like, really? You can't even buy unpasteurized cheese without going to jail in America. Like, maybe you don't, uh, like, that's, but it's, yeah, go try, to, go try to buy some unpasteurized milk. Go try to buy some things that we, like, deem, like, we, you can't do that as a society. Like, we're not free, y'all. We are slaves to this system of accumulation. We have to have more because life is hard and we have to have more. But what if we lived in a different world? where we as a society genuinely cared about each other. And we were like, you know what? Businesses, we're going to pay you more because there's more. There's more. There's so much more. There's so much money in America. There's so much money in corporate America. So much money. Trillions of dollars held by a few. What if that money was unleashed? That's freedom. Where I don't have to work all the time. I can work 40 and, and live a comfortable life and raise my children and actually go on vacation with my kids. I can work 40 and we, we're not free because we've belong, we're belonging to the wrong things. As we face this new reality of a post-pandemic world, I hope that we can be a church that shows people you can belong to us here. You can belong. We're, we're, not, we're not against that, and we're not against this, and we're not against this. Here's what we're for. We're for love, and we're for you, and we believe in you, and we believe in your future, and we believe in your beauty, and we believe in your excellence, and we believe that God loves you, and God embraces you, and God holds you. It doesn't matter what, if you love God or not. God loves you. It doesn't matter that's, that's it. It just doesn't matter. You're human. And so therefore, as a human, you are embraced. We will embrace you and we will love you and we will hold you and we will do life with you. And we will create belongingness together. And we will hold on to each other together. That's beautiful. 
And so this call to us today, I think, is also Jesus saying to us, hey, church, you feed them. God's not a magic trick. We can't wait on God to fix the problems of the world. God is saying, I've given you all the tools you need. Now go do it. Embrace the world. Create a sense of belonging. Today, where do you feel isolation in your life? I mean, that's a ridiculous question, right? We, are, we have been isolated completely for a year. But maybe let's think bigger than just this year. Where do we feel a deep sense of isolation? Maybe we need to share that with each other, our church. Maybe we need to share that with our friends, our family. Maybe we need to write it down somewhere. And, and ask yourselves, and, but even in this sense of you as a church sitting here today, how can you be part of somebody else's belongingness? How can you reach out to someone this week? How can you tell them that God loves them, that they are beautiful and great and marvelous? How can you remind them that they belong to something bigger? Today, let's be the answer to our prayers. Today, let's hear the words of Jesus saying to us, you feed them. And together, let's belong to something bigger than ourselves. As we prepare our hearts for communion, let's pray. Lord God of heaven and earth, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your glory and for your love and for your majesty over us. We pray for our world who is, has been stripped of its commonality, who has been stripped of our belongingness, we pray that you would inspire us to create a space of belonging and maybe, Lord, to recreate a space of belonging. In the next months, we pray that we as a church could give the world something to eat. Whatever we have, we offer it to you. Whether that's a meal, whether that's a word, whether that's a postcard or a phone call or a text or opening our house for dinner or, or taking food to hungry or showing up at the Wren house together or working in the yard together. Lord, here's what we have. It might not be much, but we know you can multiply it and through our sharing, bring life to the world. So God, we give you our hearts today. We give you our futures and we pray that as we take this bread and wine today, as you shared your body and life with us, that you would allow us to share our lives with others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.